Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Mothers of Children in Shadokhan podcast series. In this episode, we are privileged to hear from two respected Rabbanim, Rabbi Shusterman of Beverly Hills, California, and Rabbi Gorelick of Crown Heights, as they discuss halachic nuances in the dating and engagement process. Please note, this episode was previously uploaded to the Single Girls podcast and can be accessed there as well. Today, we are having a rabbinic panel with Rabbi Shusterman, Rav in Beverly Hills, California, and Rabbi Gorelick, Rav in Crown Heights. We thank them so much for taking time from their busy schedule to address the questions we have for mm-hmm. them today. Before we um, begin, I'm going to have Yehudas Blooming Shlucha to briefly introduce the concept of having a personal Rav and some of its importance. So go ahead, Yehudas. Okay, <laughs> thank you. So first of all, Rabbi Shusterman, Rabbi Gorelick, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that it's not easy and you both have very busy schedules and you should continue only officiating simchas and nothing beyond that. Hmm. Um, so first of all, I as girls are logging on, and I know that there were a couple of hundred girls that logged on to the other sessions by the recording. So Rabbi, don't even look at the numbers here because it's going way beyond that. Uh, just for myself, I, I, I want to share sentiments that during our single years in our life, we don't always have the opportunity of interacting with um, with a Rav. Whenever we had a question, most of us kind of turned to our father or our mother and, you know, asked your kosher question that you had if you weren't sure if you mixed something in the kitchen. And we never really had that opportunity to call a rub necessarily, although some did, but it wasn't necessarily a thing. But as we're getting older in the stage of life of Shadokim now, it's I, I think it's so pertinent to get comfortable in making and having a, a rub in your life that you can connect with and relate to, uh, put them in your contacts. Uh, and the reason for that being is because once a person starts married life, there are so many different questions that come up. And at times a person may feel uncomfortable because they've never they've never actually dealt with a rub before in their life. But a rub is the most fundamental concept in Yiddishkeit. It's, uh, the, the rub is there to give us guidance and our personal prescription in life. So even though we have halacha, and, and that's usually, obviously, always the guide in our life. But the Rav is there to give us specifically our formula for what's needed. And sometimes there's exceptions to the rules. And sometimes there's other factors that go in. And it's so, so important to make sure that whether it's in um, family matters, Tarasam Shpacha matters, to always be able to call the Rav comfortably, not even necessarily asking your husband to call the Rav, but you feeling comfortable to call the Rav directly and asking your personal question. And so therefore, aside for the amazing opportunity of hearing from the Rabbanim tonight of the different questions that we're going to have for them, um, I think a big part of it is just seeing them alone and being exposed to who they are and to know that I, I, first of all, I want to make a a public thank you that when I personally got married, Rabbi Gorelick was there helping side by side for all of Shana Rishayna, many, many questions that came up and was very helpful. So thank you, Rabbi Gorelick and Rabbi Shustman as well throughout the years of shluchas, so many questions come up in our life, and the greatest gift that you could give yourself in your life, honestly, of course, the Rebbe said, 
and 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 we interpret that as a mashpia for sure but the greatest gift you could give yourself is a rav in your life and i'm sure hopefully um the rabban will be able to share their numbers as well but take your phones pick it up and put your new contact have a new contact in your in your phone and that's the rav in your life that you can contact whether it's tarasa mishpacha questions that you'll have or any other questions that's what they're there for so thank you rabbi gorelick thank you rabbi shustaman on a personal note and for everyone who will be able to connect with you and any other rav out there and the greatest gift that the Torah gave us. So with that being said, Chasi, um, take it away with the questions that we have. Thank you, Yehudis. Um, okay, so thank you, Rabbi Gorelick, Rabbi Shulzman, for being here. I want to just also point out today um, with passing of Revitin Chava Hecht of Blessed Memory, she was a pivotal part of the um, forming of Mikvah.org and our organization. And today's learning will be this Chava Bas Avimelech. Okay, today's questions. Rabbi Shustman, um, if we can begin, please, with halachas in regards to references. What does someone say and what is someone quiet about when they're called in regards to Shadduchim? It's a very, very important question and a very difficult question to answer. Um, because you borderline on Lashon Harder, number one. Secondly, you know, if it's a friend of yours, you don't want to, God, God forbid, say things that are negative about the person. So, generally speaking, I know Rabbi Gorelick is going to speak about the importance of Rav, and the same thing is with a mashpia. A lot of the issues and all these questions is really questions that you need a mashpia to discuss it with, and then, if need be, you call it up. Um, halachically, there's a lot of that discuss what you're allowed to say, what you're not allowed to say. You should try to minimize if they're asking you as much as possible, number one. Don't answer, don't say things that you're not asked about. If they don't ask about it, there's no reason for you to be able to say it, to have to say it. And anything that will be really, really negative, you should try to avoid saying it or <clears throat> say it in a way that what you're saying is positive, and then the people will understand that they have to do more research into it. In addition to the issue of Lashon Hara, I know of cases that people said negative things about people in Shaduchim, you know, about references, and the people did end up getting married, and they knew that that friend of theirs said something negative about it, and it caused the stopping of the friendship for the rest of their lives. And it's not a good thing. You have to, if you're asked a question, you answer the question. Don't give and offer more information than what they're asking about. Okay, thank you, Rabbi Shusterman. Um, when I heard um, Mrs. Blumis Yohara's introduction, I kind of thought we had passed that topic, but I realized that we skipped this. So Rabbi Gorelick, if you can um, build on what um, Yohara's had spoken about, on the importance of a rub in this stage, even though right now, you know, we're talking to single girls, maybe they don't think about the halakhas that they need to ask a rub about. If you could just um, talk a little bit more from a rub's perspective as to why um, now, now would be a good time to begin. Well, everything is, as, you hear me, yeah? Okay? Yeah. Everything is Ashgacha protest. And since I wanted Rabbi Shusterman to speak first, because he's <laughs> older, so you did the right thing. You asked him a question and he answered. So this way he started off. And also, if I could second on what she said before about Rebetz and Hecht, I personally was very, very, very close to Rabbi and Mrs. Hecht on a personal level. We almost became family, sort of. 
um, when my parents went on Shlichus uh, over 60 years ago. One of the first visits from outside was Rabbi Hecht, that he came to our parents, and I could talk about that uh, for a good few hours, but that's not what we're here for. Um, <clears throat> as far as the concept of Erov, so first of all, I would like to say to all the girls who are on this program or are going to be watching this program later, that, and of course also the boys, but uh, the ones who are watching this program, and if you have reached the Shidduch age, that they should be blessed with a proper Shidduch, and it should be, as we say, of the Rebbe, of the families, and as we say, that's number one. Number two, by the Kinnus HaShluchas, when we talk about questions and answers in Halacha, I always start with the point that I heard from Rav Zalman Shimon Dvorkin, who was the Roving Kranites, very, very smart Jew. And he always used to say, Levi, do not give shiurim and halacha in public, because with every row of people, the halacha changes. And of course, if we're going to do it on electronic uh, means, for sure, that's what happens. So uh, sometimes people get frustrated that we go on a program and the Rav says, you have to ask a Rav, just like Rabbi Justman just said. We're not here to tell you that everything you have to ask her of. We're basically here to help how to navigate the system of what is something that needs to be asked her of and why do you have to ask her of. Like, for example, what Rabbi Shusterman just said about the fact of saying something negative. What happens is sometimes, let's say, you know that your friend, you were in camp once and you saw she had an attack of epilepsy. Do you have to say it to somebody? Do you have to or not? You know, and, and she's going to go out with, the, with your first cousin, uh, uh, you know? And the answer is, the reason why you have to ask Karov is because a lot of times, just because you saw something that happened, doesn't mean that it's still now also. Could be the Baruch Hashem, everything was taken care of, and it's not a problem. So you can't make those decisions on your own. And that's why what happens, the answer is to this, you have to ask Karov. Why? Because the Rav will help you navigate your question. Okay? Now, for example, the Rebbe always spoke, when he spoke to doctors, what the Rebbe would say is to the doctors, don't prescribe medicine. Prescribe preventive medicine so that people should know how to conduct themselves and not become sick. And the same thing over here, the Rebbe is there to help you to navigate the system when you're faced with a problem, how to deal with it. Because as you know very well, there are certain medicines like uh, Advil, uh, aspirin, it's good for a headache, but you can't say that in public to everybody. If a person has... Uh, he takes blood thinners and he's going to take aspirin or, or Advil. Sometimes he could send it to Ganadin because not all medicine work for everybody. So therefore, you can't just stomp take. You have to ask a doctor. And the same thing it works with the Rav. So, and I'll give now a few examples of why the Rav needs to be involved in the process of a Shidduch from the beginning. When I say from the beginning, properly it should be before the chassan and kala go out, that the boy and the girl go out. Why is that? Let me give just a few examples that happened in the past. Number one, there's something which is called names. There are names that if the chassan and the shver, or the kala and the shviger, or the mechotani, whatever, there's a whole issue which is called names. And the question is, which names are problematic, which names are not problematic? So. What happened, many, unfortunately, after the Lachayim, after everything, everything is nice and dandy, the father comes to the Rav, he makes an application to make a Siddiq Kedushin. The Rav looks at the names and says, excuse me, we have an issue here. Now, the Chassan is named after this great Sabbath. 
The Shver is named after this Gretzak. Yeah, nobody wants to change their name. Whose problem does it become now? The Rav. <laughs> if instead of listening to what people say, they would have discussed this with the Rav from the beginning, the Rav right away would have seen if there is an issue. I, I want to go to another extreme, but unfortunately it happens, which is the concept of broken engagements. Sometimes we hear of an engagement that was broken and what was the problem? Oh, it was amicable. It was amicable, amicable. Really what happened after the Lachayim and the family started talking to the Rav about the Shidduch, it turns out that there's a question of a giur or a question of something else or it's a koyhen or this or that. And according to Halacha, they're not allowed to get married. And unfortunately, we're not anymore in the shtetl. We're out there, Rabbi Shustam in California. <laughs> he has many more stories than I can tell you from what I hear over here. And if the Rav was involved from the beginning, there wouldn't have been an issue to begin with. So people don't realize that the Rav is not someone who you call three days before the wedding. Rabbi, I need someone to do Kiddush. No, 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 that's not how it works. If you want to do it correctly, you start from the beginning, you make a shidduch with somebody, and that is how that should be done. And this way you know that, let's say everything is kosher from all ends. All of a sudden, the families decided, they looked at the calendars, this and that, they found a beautiful date. It works for everything. They come to the Rav, the Rav says, excuse me, you cannot make a chasin on that date. For example, now, right now is a time before another. Anybody who gets engaged now, some people will still manage to squeeze it in before Pesach. But a lot of people are going to move to Lag Boimer, to Shavuos. Lag Boimer, people think, oh, the night before you can make a wedding, no problem. Or the night after, no problem. It's not so simple. You have to run it through the Masadic edition. before Shavuos. It doesn't always work. It's not always, and it's sometimes, depending which Rav, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all issues that if the family has a family Rav who they discuss these things with, they're going to have a lot of preventive medicine. A lot of the problems are going to be automatically taken care of. And therefore, on a personal note, I would like to say that I have a problem. I grew up in a house. My father was the Rav. My mother's the Rebetzin. And my father was there when the person was born. My father's there by his bar mitzvah. My father's there by shidduch. My father's there by shasinah. My father's there after 120. And my father gets in, uh, invited anywhere in the world if there's a child or a grandchild of these people who is making a chasana. Why? Because where I grew up, the Rav and the Rebetzin were an integral part of the family. Nobody made a shidduch with somebody from Milan to somebody from London without checking with the Rav first. The Rav had to find out. What's with that family? Even though it was a big Rabbanisha family, it made no difference. Why? If you have the Rav in the beginning of the process, then you know Bistaf and Ferdinand. Last but not least, this is the worst in, that, that, that I feel very often, unfortunately. I get a call from a mother or from a Kala in the week before the wedding. They have a Shailah, which is perfectly fine. My first question is, who is your Masadic Kedushim? The answer is, well, the Mechotonim are still fighting about it. You can't do that. You have to have a family rub. And there's no such thing as Mechutani fighting or who's the Masada Kedushin. The Masada Kedushin is, as the Rebbe made it very clear, is the rub of the Tzad Akala. Of course, if the wedding is somewhere else, etc. Okay, we'll discuss it. But the rub must be part of your process from day one. Day one means when the Shidduch Meret and they're ready to go out. Just like you check Dori Yasharim, check with the rub. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Gorelick. And I'm sure as we go through some of these questions, we'll have more examples of why we want to have a rub involved in the beginning.
Okay, so we're going to toggle back and forth. So Rabbi Shusterman, um, if you could please address some of the halachas of yichud that one should be aware of when dating and appropriate places to be going according to halacha. It's not only according to halacha, you also want to talk according to what Siddish people should do, what Lubavitchers, Chabad people should do. I want to preface it with a statement that uh, Rabbi Simon Jacobson brings down in his book, Words of Meaning for Life from the Rebbe. The Rebbe told somebody a very profound statement, which I think is very important for everybody to know. And that is, the Rebbe said, if you are close, when you should be distant, you will be distant when you should be close. When a chos and a kala are going out, they are not married. Even when they're engaged, they're not married. All the laws of yichud between a boy and a girl apply. And sometimes it's very complicated because if you're going out for a date at night, there might be yichud not only in the places that you're going, but if you're going together in a car and it's at night and it's not necessarily city streets, it could be you have to go on a highway and a freeway or even in city streets, if they're tinted windows, could be a shaila of yichud. Because, and the Rebbe spoke about that many times, that women are unaware, people are unaware of the fact that in a car at night, there could be a shail of yichud between men and women. And the same thing would apply to a boy and a girl. So if they're planning, usually when they go out to a date, if it's a public place, there is no problem of yichud. If it's a place where people could just go to and it's open to the public, unless if it's three o'clock in the morning where you can assume nobody's gonna be there, there probably won't be an issue of yichud, but again, you need to ask a shayla. But people should be aware there's a problem going in a car at night with yichud. I'm not saying you cannot overcome it, but there are issues in Allah about driving at night, the boy and the girl together, places that you are going to. As far as places, and by the way, this, as we'll see later, applies during the time of engagement. And in fact, according to Allah, the issues of yichud probably apply more. To be more careful with yichud during the engagement period than it is before you're going out. Because once you're engaged, it's the din of libe gasba, which means they're very, very friendly. And over there, more problematic issues may come up. So they need to be careful. As far as which places to go to on a date, you know, they can't put a list of all the places. But you know, to say, and I know this is going on, but to say that a chassan and kala should go rollerblading together on a date or ice skating together on a date, uh, it's not appropriate. Is it halachically forbidden? Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's definitely not appropriate. Anybody that remembers, ask your parents or grandparents, how did they date? Yesteryear, chassan came to the kala's house. They sat down by the dining room table and first the, the parents checked everybody out and then the parents left and the chassan and kala stayed alone in the house with the parents in their other room so there was no issue of yichud. And that's the way they went out. And you know, those shidduchim probably worked out better than the ones today. So again, we need to keep in mind that if you get too close when you should be distant, then you're gonna end up being distant when you're close. And you need to know, and if you don't know is a place appropriate to go to on a date, it's not necessarily a logic issue, but it's a mashpia issue. Is it appropriate for a boy and a girl that are Lubavitchers and want to do it right? Because again, 
The dating process is the foundation for the marriage. And if you have a good, strong foundation, the marriage lasts. And you need to, to speak to Mashpia if it's not a halachic issue. Okay, thank you. So I'm just going to ask two questions that came in that build on that, Rabbi, just a minute before we move on to a different topic. Is there is there any specific time at night that someone needs to stop dating? Does it vary by city and location? Or is there just like a arbitrary time? I mean, technically, the time for night begins at Seisekochavim, which you can figure like an hour after Lechvenshin. That's when night begins. Not, not always is night a problem of Yichlod. If it's an open place at night and there's lights and there's a, you're in a restaurant or in a, in a hall or whatever it is, so then there's no problem of Yichlod. The problem of Yichlod, especially at night, is when you're going on a, on a road alone or in a car with tinted windows or things like that, then you have a much bigger problem of Yichlod. If you're going to a secluded area, would be a problem of Yichlod. So I guess one of my question is how late at night does night become secluded? Is it 11, 12, 1, 2, or does it matter if New York City gets secluded at 3 and uh, LA gets secluded at 11? I guess that's... You know, some cities are alive a whole night, okay? Uh, some cities, are, and it also depends where in the city. Yeah, Manhattan probably is alive the whole night, but you can have a section in Brooklyn and Queens, which is very quiet at night. So there's no guideline. I mean, the guideline is in a place which is secluded, you have an issue of yichud. Okay, and it thank begins you. At nightfall. Okay, so building on the question where we have talked about, you know, appropriate places to date and um, during engagement and dating, Rabbi Gorelik, if I can ask you if you can briefly discuss halachis of shaymer nagia while dating and how that becomes more severe or less severe. What changes when someone's engaged as well in those halachas? never changes. Okay. In our times, I never heard of the concept called shemir negia. I heard it many years later after I got married. I heard that there's such a concept. This is not something that originated from Hasidic sources. Uh, I cannot tell you 100% where it originated but there is absolutely no such thing as Shemir Nagia. And let me make that very clear. Shemir Nagia is not only during the dating process or the engagement process. After the chasana, according to some poskim, you're not allowed to do Nagia in public. That's how far it goes. So we're not going to be discussing what goes on after the chasana, but uh, during the chasana, we have some pictures which are problematic but I don't know if this is beyond what we're discussing today, but there is absolutely no such thing. There's, there's no problem passing things to each other, et cetera. But negia between a boy and a girl, and I would like to reiterate on what Rabbi Shusterman said before, that a lot of boys and girls don't realize that the halachas of stringency between a boy and a girl are stronger after the engagement, after the, not engagement, after the lachayim, between the lachayim and the wedding, and before. Before, you could do many things because you want to get to know the other person, etc. So there are many things that are okay. The moment they are engaged, now they have to treat each other with Kedusha and with Helikite. I know that that's not language for 2022, but doesn't mean anything. Lepoil, there's no such thing as Shemer Negia. This is not in our circles. 
in our circles, it doesn't exist. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess my question was phrased in a way where you had talked about it, that we should all be aware that once the engagement happens, we actually need to be in a way means um, yes, and you can also tell Rabbi Shisterman that one of the differences between Los Angeles and New York, that New York is the city that never sleeps. Because there's always a Ghana somewhere. I'm just joking. Anyway, so, <laughs> we could just clarify. Depends where in LA also, by the way. Uh, yeah. LA also, okay, good. Yeah. Right, well, I was asked to uh, clarify that Shomer Nagia means being careful of touching. So if you could just explain whether, you know, a boy and a girl, whether they're dating or whether they're engaged and they're touching is that minataira is that uh custom is that what what, what where do those halakhis lie no, i will not go into those details because it's a lot of details but there is one thing which is minataira and that is called lifne iver lesitain misha you're not allowed to put a stumbling block on another person sometimes it could be the boy towards the girl sometimes it could be the girl towards the boy you cannot do any action that will in any shape or form put the other one in a situation where they're going to be sort of, uh, don't know exactly how to handle it, et cetera. If they know that they're not allowed to touch and there's also the subject that they discuss have to be very, very um, careful not to touch onto the sensitive area of life. You have to be very careful with that. And especially after they're engaged before the wedding, for sure not to discuss any of those issues. I want to add something. I think it's important to say, Rabbi Gorelick, that touching, if there's a touching between boy and girl, especially Hassan and Kala or in the engagement, what's called that achiba in a way of a romantic touching, according to all opinions, is biblically forbidden. It's Mamisha Lav in the Torah, Leisikrevo Legale Serva. Rebbe brings it down. It's Mamisha Lav in the Torah. We're not talking about mis by mistake banging into somebody or you know touching somebody by mistake. But usually, when you're talking about Chosen Kala, especially after your engagement, then that's not touching by mistake. It's it's more than that, you know. So then people should be aware. It's also in the They have any Nigia Bederachiba in a way of emotions or romance, that would be biblically forbidden. Thank you. So, you know, um, we're talking about the touching and stuff, so, and things like that. So how do we get there, so to speak? Rabbi Shusterman, can you address a little bit what's appropriate conversation to have when dating? In our circles, we don't date to date and have a good time. In our circles, in the Froom circle, when people go out to date, they want to know if the person's compatible, number one, compatible in a way that there's what's called Hamshachas Halev. They have a, there's a chemistry between the two that they feel a connection. Many times we know that on, on paper, the Shidduch is perfect, but they don't have what's called, what the Rebbe used to call Hamshachas Halev. They just don't, there's no chemistry there, you know, so that has to be dealt with. But generally speaking, when a boy and a girl go out on a date, you know, the first date, they obviously want to get acquainted with each other. You know, what do you do? What do you do? Or this and that, family. And then afterwards, when you start dating more, you want to find out, you know, what type of home do you want to build? What type of 
how do you want to raise the children? What type of open house do you want to have? All these various things. The discussion should be about the importance of building a home together and to see if you're compatible, if you're on the same page, at least in that aspect of both knowing what they want from a home, what they want from a spouse, what they would like to, you know, one, one person could say, oh, I want to go to restaurants five times a week. And then one says, no, I don't want to go to restaurants. I mean, these are issues that need to be discussed. As petty as it sounds, they need to be discussed. And you need to discuss it before. And, you know, years ago, it was much easier, I'll tell you the truth. Before we went out on Shaduchim, we wrote to the Rebbe, this person was offered to me, should we go out? The girl did it, the boy did it. And you got an answer from the Rebbe, yes, yes. Then you went out. Then finally, when you decided, you know, and you both decided, and, and the way we used to write in, we were told to write into the Rebbe was, we both decided to build a home on the foundations of Teira Mitzvahs, you know, according to the teachings of Chassidus. And the Rebbe would say, whatever the Rebbe's answer was. And you know, we had an issue because the Rebbe told us if it's, if it's the proper Shidduchana. In today's day, we don't get clear answers from the Rebbe like that. Many people do, not everybody does. So now you have to make sure 100%, is this the person, you know, in, in, the, in the secular world, there's a joke. There's some 50% of marriages end up in divorce. So we say in the secular world, when you go out on a date, you should think, is this the one I want my kids to be with every other weekend? That's what they haven't, I'm not joking. That's in the secular world. That's what they tell you to think. In our circles, the attitude is, I'm not trying the marriage. You know, like they say, you marry, you marry together. We, the marriage is to last forever. And the point is to realize what, what type of home do you want to build and see if you're compatible on that thing. Well, thank you. So Rabbi Shusman, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question there specifically. You know, when someone is, um, oh, actually, no, we'll, we'll go back to that in a minute. Rabbi Gorelick, now that we talked about, you know, Rabbi Shusman spoke about topics to talk about while dating. Can you address the halakhis regarding FaceTiming or texting while dating? First of all, according to many opinions, when it comes to FaceTiming, that could be a question of yichud. So if there are other people that are at least aware or, again, it all depends if they're on, uh, on time when they're going out. So that is a little easier. The only thing that I would say, though, is that um, not a good idea, number one. Texting, unfortunately, people don't realize that when they text something to somebody and sometimes you have a smile on your face because you want to say something funny, but the other person doesn't see the smile. The only other person only reads the text. And Shidduchim have been broken because of misunderstood texts. The way it should work is, at least in my humble opinion, better to make 20 phone calls than one text. All you need is one text to be misread, misunderstood, and everything goes kaput. So therefore, the proper way how the boy and the girl should talk they should go out in person before they get engaged as much as possible. During the engagement time, it has to be in a certain uh, way, but 
face-to-face -face is 100% better than FaceTime, if they are in two different countries and they're not going to see each other until the chasen, etc. So let them discuss with their mashpia about that. But I definitely don't suggest texting until after the chasen. Okay, thank you. Too many misunderstood texts. But because of COVID, right. a lot of people weren't able to get together for shaduchim and still going on and off, whatever. So, so then what a lot of them, at the beginning, they Zoomed. They talk to each other because they need to see each other. But still, as somebody told me, they saw the person on Zoom, it looked good. They met them in person. No good. You know, you can't, they, you can't, you could buy a house on Zoom, but you can't marry a person that is the most important decision of a person's life for both boy and girl. For man and woman, the most important decision in life is who you're marrying. You need to make sure that it's 100%, you know, Good for you. No I was life. actually referring to those cases that started off on Zoom. And the first two or three times they did it on Zoom because he was in one place of the world, she was in the other. And then all of a sudden they met and within five minutes it was off. Because Zoom is good. That's not a problem. If you have to meet somebody, even in business, if it's a business meeting, and we're talking about a third party the, the business that we're doing, it's one thing. When it has to be the, the, the natural relationship between two people, electronics is not the thing for it. Absolutely not. Um, can I ask whether voice noting would make any difference versus let's say texting or FaceTime? Is it appropriate for the boy or the girl to voice note back and forth during the dating and then we're engagement. We have two different periods of time here we're talking about. If you're asking, I'm sorry, you're asking if it's appropriate or you're asking if it's advisable. Okay? Not if it's advisable, halakhically, is it appropriate? Is it okay? Like maybe it's just, I don't know. It, it's like talking on the phone. Okay, it's like because talking you don't on the phone. see the person, you're only hearing the voice. And, uh, but just as a, as a humble opinion, it, it was not very good because the people, they read into a message much more than what's in the message. When you have a conversation, the other, the other person could say, what do you mean with that? And he explains himself, oh, it turns out a total different thing. I'm sure you've been on chat groups and one person says something that really gets bombarded by all the other people. And he says, no, that's not what I meant or that's not what happened, etc." Electronic media should not be used when you have to make a connection between a uh, boy and a girl who are going to become husband and Kala and going to become husband and wife. You should not use the electronic media for that because it's deceiving. A lot of issues don't come out correctly. We have so many follow-up questions that I hope we will have time to get to some of them. Let me, I'm going to backtrack. Rabbi Shustman, you had spoken about, you know, during the um, dating that how we need to talk about important topics on building a family or important values. Once someone's engaged, are there any halachas that one should be aware of about appropriate conversations to be talking about during the engagement period? For example, is it okay to discuss the chassan and kala classes? Um, I'll be honest with you, years ago, nobody ever did that. Okay? <laughs> the chassan and kala, they learned their classes. Sometimes issues come up that they need to be discussed. But not to discuss, first of all, it's not appropriate, it's not sneeze for a chosin and kala to talk about hilchas nida. You have to understand, chosin and kala halachically are two strangers. Halachically, they're strangers. 
Yeah, they're getting married. When they get married, they become basar echad, then they become one. But it's inappropriate for Hassan and Kalas to talk about, pardon my expression, sexual things and things like that. It's inappropriate. It could be halachically forbidden also, because it could be, as was mentioned before, uh, you're putting a stumbling block that you can cause them to do an Aveda, which would be very inappropriate. So, yeah, during the time of Chosin Kabachlau, it's known that the Rebbe, and this is printed already in all the Shidduchim books, the Rebbe didn't want Chosin and Kala talking so, or meeting each other during the time of engagement. And that's why years ago, when a Chosin and Kala, they got married, the Chosin went off, whether it was to Newark or to Morristown or to another place, and they saw each other rarely. And the Rebbe said, and the Rebbe answered, and this is Pasha, a, a unbelievable gashmiistic uh, beneficial advice. They should not be involved in the preparations for the wedding. That's the role of the parents to be involved. I had, I don't want to say a name, but somebody, uh, we went to their wedding, Makurev went to the wedding, and he, the day of the wedding, we come to, before the chopa, and he says to me, you know, you guys are so smart not seeing your kala seven days before the wedding. We what we we're what seeing each other and today we got the day of the wedding we got into a bloody fight. He said you guys are so smart. You know why do you need to, to do things that can cause problems? Besides the fact it's a tsnias issue, it's a it's not a practical thing. And there's a question about buying furniture and all that. You know these things should be done by the Kala and her and the mothers, or if sometimes the Chosin has to give his opinion on a bookcase, the Chosin should give his opinion. But, you know, yeah, the Chosin should make the final, you know, when you're already ready, you looked at a million things and you finally decided to buy one, then the Chosin maybe can come and take a look and see if it's okay. But uh, they have to keep in mind that Chosin and Kala doesn't mean that you could do whatever you want because you're engaged. It, it's not. It's not logically not. And also, this is exactly what the Rebbe said. If you're going to be close when you're supposed to be distant, you're going to end up being distant when you're close. And it's so true. But you Gashmis, of course, the Rebbe said it is true. But in Gashmis, it is so true. If you're close at the wrong times, you're going to end up being distant in the right times. And the Chosen Kalas need to keep this in mind. It's, it's a Gashmis, it's a not only Misad, Halacha, Torah, you know, the, the, the discipline. It's it such an unbelievable gashmistic aid to make a marriage work better than if you're on top of each other the whole time. Thank you, Rabbi Shusterman. Um, building on that, Rabbi Gorelik, if we can address, please, Chupas um, Nida, if a Kala is in a position where she needs to decide if she's going to take pills to manipulate her cycle or anything like that, is this something she could be discussing with her husband in order to determine how important it is to him? Or what to do about it? Is this is this an appropriate conversation? For the, the answer is in two words: Chas v'Shalom. These are not issues to be discussed. Period. Now, what a kala should do? She should discuss it with her mother, with her kala teacher, and with Arav uh, when needed, of course. Now, regarding what you just asked, whether to take pills, I'll say two things, which. On a personal note, um, when people call me with a question, I say, as a garelic, I cannot answer that question. Because when my parents had to get married, um, the uh, 
they, my, my grandparents knew that the Rebbe Bezos Hashem would be the Masadic Kedushin and they went into Yechidus and the Rebbe asked, no, so when is the wedding, when's the date? And my grandparents told the Rebbe that um, the Rebbe should choose a date whenever it's, whenever it's comfortable for the Rebbe. So the Rebbe said, ah, it's, it's dependent on the Kala, etc. So my grandmother said, well, there are different methods that could be used, you know, to make sure that everything is whatever. And the Rebbe said, no, I'm not giving this as a general rule. I'm just explaining to all those people that call me the question why I will refuse to answer that question. While there are plenty of Rabbanim that have very good ideas about it, I cannot answer that question. The second thing on a personal note, as okay, Rabbi Rabbi Gralik, one second. I just I must add something to this. Sure. That it's known the Rebbe's opinion, but when the Rebbe said no, then like uh, one Rabbi Farkish once gave a marshal that years ago, when you wanted to bring a computer into the room, you had to break down walls. Today, it's on the tip of your the fingertip. The pills today are not the same potency and the same way and the negative impact that it was when your parents and grandparents got, parents got married. I'm not saying the Rebbe says you could. I'm just saying people, because a lot of people are doing it, the Rabbanim are saying it. You can't say the Rebbe today, you're going against the Rebbe. It's not necessarily true. And that's a question for your local Rav and your local Mashbir. 100%. That's why I gave the introduction. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm concurring with you. That's why I gave an introduction that I'm saying something on a personal note not as a halacha for anyone. Just explaining why I don't answer that question. The second thing, but uh, as you mentioned before, that sometimes we should look on how things were done in the past and they worked Baruch Hashem pretty well. You were talking, you were just asking about the, the date, the, how many times they should meet, etc. Many people saw a letter in English from the Rebbe to a Kala that she should not go see her chassin or something like that. And many people don't know the history behind it. And this will shock some of the people, but it's just good to know some history. That letter was sent to my aunt, my mother's sister. Her name is Rebetzin Sararivka Sasankin. She's in Israel today. And what happened was as follows. This was in 1960, 1960. My parents had just gone to Shlichus for about a year, year and a half. My mother opened up a kindergarten and she needed a teacher. So my aunt, Sarah Rivke, a younger, my mother's younger sister, came to Italy and she taught for a year. Fine. After the summer, she before the summer, she went back to New York. She got engaged to a bacher from Israel, my uncle, Avram Mosasankin. Elul, my mother wrote to the Rebbe that she doesn't have a teacher for next year. And the Rebbe told my aunt, Sarah Rivke, that she should go to Italy for a year. Believe it or not, she was a Kala. And the Rebbe told her she should go to Italy to teach for a year. And she taught until the following summer. Hanukkah time, the my person in charge of, my, of the finances in my father's community, Mr. Zippel, he saw this girl who's a kala. Her, her husband is in Herz Yisrael. So he offered her a ticket to go to Israel to see the husband. They only met, the, what, the, how, at Rabbi system, and how many times did they go out then? Two times, three times. If to make a long story short, <laughs> right? My aunt wrote to the Rebbe because nobody moved without asking the Rebbe. And the Rebbe wrote her this letter that it's not appropriate for her to take a trip to Israel to go see her husband. So the next time she saw her husband was under the chuppah. She hardly recognized him. And the Rebbe, as a matter of fact, made an exception. And a few weeks before the wedding, he told my grandparents, the Rebbe had a very stop, be Masada Kedushin. 
But the Rebbe said, because my aunt went in Shlichus for a year, so the Rebbe offered to be Masada Kedushin as long as it says a secret, etc., etc. But the bottom line is, the Rebbe's opinion was those years, and I, today should be also to a certain extent that after the, before the engagement, they want to date 20 times, 30 times. I know it's crazy, but some people do it. If that's what it takes, no problem. After you get engaged, that's a very different story. It has to be done in a very limited fashion. Is there a way how to write down exactly how? I don't know if there's a way to write it, but everyone could discuss it with his mashpia or use his own brains. What does it mean literally? And as Rabbi Shisterman said before a few times, if you get too close when you shouldn't be, it could cause problems on the other side. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Gorelick. I want to backtrack a little bit, Rabbi Shisterman. Back in the beginning of our lecture, we talked about, you know, um, what could be considered Lashon Hara and what someone needs to disclose about a friend. But if we could talk about what you need to disclose about yourself, if it's an issue of woman's health or something of your own health, when do you need to disclose it? Is there any sort of halachic terms to keep in mind? Disclosing before the shidduch even begins, disclosing it by the second, the third, the fifth. Is there an, a date there or anything to keep in mind with that? Okay. That is a very, very practical question because it happens a lot. And to say there's a blanket answer, there isn't. Every case is different. Generally speaking, I know that Zaman Shimon Dvarkin said that, another big Rabbanim said that. You don't need to provide medical help until the shidduch is getting serious. You know, as you go out once, twice, you don't even know it's, you know, you don't have to tell them anything about your health. Unless if they ask you, then you're not allowed to lie. But generally speaking, you don't have to tell a person. Once things get serious, okay, and it's an issue of an illness that possibly could break a shidduch, that means that somebody heard after they're engaged already that somebody has this medical condition. So then Rabbanim say that you have to tell before a shidduch. If it's an issue that even if they're engaged, nobody's going to mind about it. It's not a major issue. They should preferably tell them, but they don't have to tell them in, in a whole, not definitely not at the beginning. When it gets serious and there is serious medical issues, then you need to tell the person. What I would like to suggest, and I tell this to a lot of people, if somebody's under doctor's care, okay, whether it's emotional issues, mental issues, physical issues, totally irrelevant. And they're in touch with the doctor and the doctor knows the situation and the doctor says, this is not generic. It's not, I mean, it's, it's not genetic. It's not going to be transmitted over to the next person and it's not so bad and they can have children and, or, or whatever it is. I tell people, before you even mention it to the chassan, get a letter from your doctor that you're under his care and as far as you're concerned, there's no problem with it. Because when you try to hide something from people, that's where, as they say in Yiddish, that's where there's a problem. If you're open with them and you say, listen, this is my condition. Here's a letter from the doctor. Please speak to the doctor. That definitely helps out because people see, number one, you're not hiding anything. Marriage is based on trust. If you're not hiding anything, and you're telling them, please speak to the doctor, and many of them do. It could be very beneficial. But until something, um, until it starts getting serious, you don't have to convey any, any medical issues. Thank you. 
Okay. Uh, thank you. What about emotional challenges like trauma? It's not a medical condition that we get a letter from a doctor, but it still might be a deal breaker. But again, you don't have to tell that until the, the shidduch gets serious, then you need to tell it. I'm not saying just because you have a letter from that, you still need to tell the person, the boy or the girl. But until things start getting serious, you don't need to, because if it doesn't work out, why do everybody have to talk about everybody? Okay, well, I guess another question here that comes up immediately relevant, we talked about, no, we're not talking about Hilchas Nida or areas, um, it breaches Sneas. So what if someone has um, an issue with their reproductive health, how would they be able to Sneasly convey that to the person that they are dating? While they're going out and they tell either the Shachan to tell the parents, depending on the relationship there, um, at least the parents should know and let the parents decide, you know, speak to the child. But even, even if not, this is something that you need to know for the Shidduch. It's not, uh, is it going to be Chupas Nida? And what, what do we, that's, that's not Sneezdik. Here you're talking about going out to find out, as Rabbi Gorelick mentioned before. When you're going out, you need to find out information. Okay, it's not, not Sneez to find out information. If a woman has an issue with reproductive or a person, a man has a problem with producing seed for, or whatever it may be, these are issues that are not, not sneezed. The person needs to know. If you're not comfortable, the boy telling it to the girl, somebody should tell the parents, preferably the shotgun should tell the parents. Right, okay, thank you. Um... I guess a follow-up question, and either Ralph can, can, whoever wants to address this, but when we talk about, you know, I guess unnecessary mental health situation, is it unnecessary or is it part of your history? Let's say something happens in high school. Now you're dating. Maybe it's two years later. Maybe it's five years later. Maybe it's seven years later. But something that you resolved, is that something you need to share? If you resolved it at that level with a doctor, et cetera, or is this unnecessary? I guess how you do, if it's not an issue now, but it was an issue in your past, how do you determine if it's something that needs to be disclosed now? If the doctor says that there's a strong possibility that it will resurface and reoccur, it should be mentioned. But again, get a letter from the doctor, make sure the doctor says they're cured from it. You know, listen, anybody can get sick after a chasana with things that you never knew about before. You know, that's Fabish that runs, runs the world. But we're talking if it's, it's something which was cured, and the doctor says, really, it's cured. Can it come back again? Everything can come back again. Nobody knows anything about anybody. Only David knows. So again, you know, you don't, until it gets serious, you don't have to say it. If it's something that was cured, you don't have to say it. Maybe later on when it really gets more, much more serious, if you want to, you could say it. But again, you have to ask your doctor, is this something that the other party needs to know about if I want to be open with them? And the doctor says, no, it's not an issue to be discussed Allah. You don't have to say it. Okay, we're getting really detailed in our questions here. So um, the Rabbanim, you can, you know, feel free to tell me if you don't want to address this. But um, do you need to say if you're not a psola, if it's behind you and now you're back on track, is this something that you do you must disclose to the chassan? No, one answer? If she has a family rav, she should tell that to the rav. Because otherwise, before her chasana, it's going to have to come out. Because there's a difference in different halachic areas 
of the wedding and the supper, etc. And sometimes, if she's not, it could be a question whether she's allowed to marry that person. So therefore, if she is in that situation, go back to rule number one that we started in the beginning. You must go back to your family and discuss it. The worst thing that happens is when right at the last meeting of the boy and the girl, thank God it doesn't happen often. Baruch Hashem, it's, we'll talk about the most minute cases, but you mentioned it, so that's why I'm addressing it, that the day before the week of the uh, day before the chasana, the chasana or the kala discloses to one of them what happened in the past. And now the other one is faced with a bomb that they have to deal with. So if Baruch Hashem is not a koyan or whatever, so then things is one way. But still, if a girl knows that there's an issue, if a boy knows that there's an issue, the best thing to do is to discuss it with their love before they go out, because eventually it's only going to cause bigger problems later. Take care of a problem when it's still smaller than when it explodes. But I, can I, I want to add one thing to that. Lighter, lighter, lighter. <laughs> a lot of times today, um, I get a bunch of calls about this and it's very sad. They're engaged and they're having intimacy together before the chasana. They're engaged. And they can't hold themselves back and they're having intimacy. And, and the people call me up I'm a chsidisha girl, he's a chsidisha boy, he's a, I'm a chsidisha boy, she's a chsidisha, not one folk, a lot. And they say, we couldn't hold ourselves back and we did it. We have to tell the Rav. So they're asking Shiloh to Rav if they should tell the Rav or not. The Rav, that's the Tzadik But it's a Shiloh that, that can come up. So it's not only if you get engaged, I'm saying nowadays or forever, I guess, was an issue of people being together as Chosin Akala. And then the question is, do you have to tell the Rav? Does he have to change the Ksuba and all the details? But the Rav needs to be asked. And by the way, you can call a Rav that you don't know. If you're uncomfortable, to call a Rav you know and to say, hey, by the way, this is what I did, then you're just uncomfortable talking to the family Rav. You can call a Rav that you don't know, a competent Rav, and say, listen, this is the, this is the story. Do I have to tell the Rav who's Masada Kedush? And that Rav will guide you. I guess this would be a great time for me to say that mikvah.org forward slash referrals has a list of rabbanim all around the world in every time zone. And that is the, a great way to access um, rabbanim and to begin, as Mrs. Blooming said in the beginning of the lecture, of putting a rub as a contact in your phone. We have everyone's contact information there. Um, okay, we'll move on. I, to I just want to add one thing about that because yeah. everybody's in different time zones. Yes. When you call it off, just keep in mind which time zone he's in. <laughs> You know, <laughs> don't call somebody two o'clock in the morning because it's already nine o'clock in the morning by you. But, you know, you know if you're calling it off, you should know they should put the time zone difference also. Um, no, because you just have to know what time, you know, what, what the, time what, is it? What time right. is it? Yeah. OK, well, we might we have a lot of questions following up on this. We might come back to it, but let's let's backtrack to some other questions here. Rabbi Gorelli, can you address um, halachas about skipping older siblings? Baruch Hashem, we have many letters from the Rebbe about this. So, well, let me start off with a story with the Vidi Rebbe, and that will put things in perspective, okay? 
the Friedrich Rebbe, as we, as many know, when he came to America, it was hard for him to speak because he suffered a stroke, etc. So whenever someone went into Yechidus to the Friedrich Rebbe, what somebody was there to tell the people what the Rebbe just said, if it wasn't clear. Most of the time it was Rabbi Simpson. Sometimes it was the Ramal, Rabbi Shalei, Rochstein. So there's a famous story that Ramal, Rabbi Shalei, said, ah, he almost became a Rebbe and the Rebbe messed it up for me. What happened? He says there was one night that uh, a, a couple came into the Rebbe and they told the Rebbe that they have a problem. They have two daughters. One is uh, older, one is younger. And the younger one has a whole bunch of shidokim. And the older one, nothing's happening. So they asked the Fidik Rebbe what to do. So the Fidik Rebbe answered, it's a pasuk in the Torah. That we don't, you know, the story about Yankee Belov, and you don't give the older one before the younger one. Finish. Say that. And Rebbe told it to the people. Beautiful. That same night, another couple went in and told the Rebbe to have a problem. What's the problem? They have two old, they have two daughters. One is older, one is younger. The older one has no shidduchim, and the young one has shidduchim. What do we do? So the Friedrich Rebbe said, well, in the Torah, there's a post-tick, however, that was said by Lovan, but by us, Yidin, no problem. And the Friedrich Rebbe, with the side of his eye, was looking at Ramal, and Ramal was turning colors. Because a few minutes ago, we just told somebody else that the and all of a sudden, comes the Fidi Kerebid says that that was said by Lavan. So, and the, and the, the person who walked in had no idea that something happened here. But the Fidi Kerebid was watching Ramal and he's turning colors white and red. Finally, the people walked out. And the Friedi Kerebe started laughing and laughing. The Friedi Kerebe had a very heavy laugh. <laughs> like, they're like almost choking. <clears throat> and the Rebbe turns to, to Ramal and he says, Aha, do huh? you think that this is Ruach HaKedosh? If you know the story behind it, it's very simple. The first case, the older daughter was 19 and the younger one was 18. So I said, wait another little bit. And Bezaz Hashem, the older one will get some Shidduchim. The second case, the older daughter was 35. The younger one was 22. So I said, you don't have to wait. It all goes into perspective. And it all goes into Mitzvahs. What's, what's the fact? So the Rebbe gives different letters. And the main thing which the Rebbe always says that if for whatever reason, the younger one wants to go, has to go, has whatever it may be, and the younger one doesn't. So the Rebbe gives a few things that should be done, which is like asking for permission, whatever it is, and put some money towards the older ones, make a smaller lachayim, et cetera, et cetera. But, Go back to rule number one, make sure to discuss it with your up, and it will tell you to which case this falls in, whether you should wait another little bit, not necessarily, etc. But we have plenty of guidance for the Rebbe for this. Is it at all an issue to take into account other older relatives, for example, an aunt or an older cousin? No. Aunt? An aunt. What is that? And after? Your father or mother? An older aunt that's not married. I just had that call recently. Okay. That, that no, halachically, there's no issue with that. Absolutely. It's only brothers and sisters. Even right. brothers and sisters, by the way, a lot of times, a younger, a girl usually gets engaged before the boy, younger, at a younger age. Nevertheless, Paskin writes, she should still ask her older brother, Mechila, and permission to, to go get married, even though put, normal. Yeah. 
and put a big sab, by the way. Yeah, but also put some money towards the chasana of the older one. The parents should put some money, and the, the, the girl who's getting engaged should put some money towards the chasana of the older one, because this alone is a zgula for her to find the shibba. And the Rebbe says that the fact that she lets the older, the younger one go first it will help her find her shidduch. Oh, okay, amen, and it should be for um, for everyone to be able to uh, find their zivig in the right time. Amen. Um, Rabbi Shusterman, you mentioned before about some of the halachas of Yichud, and I think we maybe need some clarity because then we had a few questions. Why, Rabbi Gorelik, you had mentioned how it's Yichud on FaceTime, and Rabbi Shusterman, you were addressing um, areas of Yichud when dating. So this question is going to be for both of you. I guess you will choose who to do it. If you can clarify how one can have Yichud on on a um, phone, is is Yichud just an Indian of being careful to not have intimacy like Rabbi Shustman, like you said, this situation happens. Is that the only thing we're concerned about with Yichud, in which case FaceTime, you can't possibly, you're not actually physically in contact with each other. How does Yichud apply there? That's question number one. I want to say both so you can choose where you want to focus. And number two, when we talked about Yichud in areas of dating, is it just about being secluded and alone? So how can you, how you balance not being Yichud, but yes, having privacy to have a private conversation? Having privacy for a private conversation doesn't mean you're in a secluded area. Okay. Now, Yichud, the, the reason of Yichud, some are biblical, some are rabbinic, right? Some levels, some types of Yichud are biblical, some are rabbinic. But nevertheless, the purpose of why the Chacham or the Torah forbid Yichud is because it can lead you to do things which are improper. So obviously, if they're alone in the room, it could lead them to, God forbid, have intimacy or touching or hugging or kissing or something like that. And with the phones, it could also be, it can stimulate the person to do something which is forbidden. It can cause them, you know, whatever. According to many poskim, we can't say all poskim, but according to many poskim, um, internet, giving a class with somebody on FaceTime or, or Zooming just Two people, many poskim, right? It's a shayla v'yichud because it could lead to other things which are inappropriate. All those scandals that you hear is they started out when the people met on Facebook, when the people met on the and then you have a scandal. So, learn from from our enemies. What goes on out there? This is not something that we need to bring the yitzharah to to give him more weapons. Okay, it's just so, a practical solution. We're not talking about hey, uh, Kenyon, in Gashmias, you see what, what it has caused. So I'm going to make a statement in the running. Please correct me if I'm incorrect. When we're talking about Hilchas Yechud, we're also talking about not building an emotional, clo- an emotional closeness with someone that we're not supposed to be close with. And therefore, because we're talking about an emotional closeness, it's something that can be developed even in a virtual relationship. 100%. Okay. Um, does Mechila need to be asked before getting engaged or before starting Shaduchim? They asked us to be talking about this, the younger sibling for the older sibling. Should be before they go out. Before, before they even begin the, the Shaduch. Okay. Um, is there any concern or does the Rebbe, is there any guidance from rabbinically, halakhically, or from either one of you know anything what the Rebbe said about older girls um, being Meshadach with younger boys, I guess. Well, there's an age difference and the girl is older. How much older? I guess. Is the this a question was for older, 
The Rebetzin was older than the Rebbe, everybody knows. There is a letter from the Rebbe that for a boy and girl, there should not be more than a 10-year age difference. Not but again, than... that's the younger people. If a 70-year-old wants to marry a 60-year-old, it's not the same uh, concept as a, a younger. But there is a letter, from, but there's nothing wrong with an older girl marrying a younger boy. What's the Rebbe? The Rebbe and the Rebbe, who's better than that? Right. Okay, a question on a question. I had talked about not developing an emotional closeness, which is why you'd need to be careful um, with Yechud, for example, um, in many situations of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation over Zoom. Um, so a follow-up question, which makes a lot of logical sense, is are you not meant to be developing emotional closeness while you're dating? Wouldn't that be the natural thing that you are actually trying to develop? How do you balance the emotional connection you're developing while you're dating with the halachis of Sneis or Yechud? Um, can you see the difference of when they meet person to person or it's done on Zoom? Okay, so so I had talked about having a barrier in a Zoom and a virtual conversation, but now let's bring it to, now we're going to be dating in person. How much of an emotional connection are we meant to be developing while we're dating? Before any conversation, check in, in, in your brain and heart whether this fits Yiddishkeit, Chassidishkeit, etc. Would you ask such a question in front of somebody else? Would you, you know, is, is, it, a, is it an appropriate question? Is it an appropriate question? Or does it, from where does it come from? Does it come from the opposite or does it come from the good side? And again, we can't start writing a, a, a an instruction book for uh, what type of questions and what causes emotional and to who and to what. You have to use your judgment. What is proper? What is not proper? Not everything can be written down on paper. Well, I guess a follow-up conversation then, we're not writing things down on paper, but can we give some examples? You know, is it okay for the boy to be complimenting the girl on her appearance when they're dating? Is it okay to be you know, we're discussing things, you're developing a connection. If you're sending things that are, uh, you know, that put you in a vulnerable, vulnerable situation, are those okay to be discussing? There are general points. Oh, you look very, you know, nice, whatever, something in a general sense, or if you start going into more details. Again, you can't write it down. It's not, uh, oh, you know, if you just make a nice compliment, that's fine. That's very good. But if you start going into details, so where did you buy the dress? And, uh, and it's long and it's short and it's this and it's that. Uh, that's a very total different story. Right. Okay. okay. But that is why I'm saying it's very hard to write it down. A person has to go out with it with the idea that he's going to build a Yiddish home. When you build a Yiddish home, is this detail important for that? If it is important, yes. But if it's not important, then you don't do it. But you can take the question further. Also, is it, a, is it appropriate for a man, a married man, whatever, to compliment another lady's dressing if it's not a relative? Like, oh, I like your clothes. I mean, is that appropriate for a man to compliment another lady's dressing? I don't think it's appropriate. You know, but obviously, again, it depends if the intent is to bring to something physical between them, then it's a definite no-no. If it's just to build up a relationship to see if this is the person you want to 
stay married for the rest of your life, then it's a different story. Okay, Rabbi Shosman, you mentioned that um, you should ask Mechila before the Shidduch begins. If you ask Mechila once, is that like, okay, I asked once, that's it. Whether this Shidduch works out and I'm on to another Shidduch or another Shidduch, or do I need to ask before each Shidduch? Like, let's say I asked the first time, it didn't work out, now I'm going to go on another Shidduch. Do I need to keep on asking? You don't need to keep on asking unless, I'll give you an example. What happens if the oldest sister went out with this guy and wanted to get engaged to him? And he, the boy didn't want. Now the boy is dating the sister, the younger sister, right? That's a little bit different. You know, the older sister is going to be upset more than if she's just going out on another shidduch. So generally speaking, the answer is once you have permission to go on a date, I mean, to go out, you don't need to ask Mechil every time. But if you know, you know, that this is really going to bother, this person in particular is going to bother the older sister, yeah, the appropriate thing is to discuss it with them. Okay. Oh, man, so many questions. Okay. Um, Rabbi Gorelick, you had mentioned before that, you know, when you're dating, you can date as many times as you need to, uh, but that once you're engaged, you should have uh, limited contact. So someone writes here, well, well, then maybe, you know, a couple that doesn't want to have limited contact well, can just keep on dating in order to not have limits on them. So is there any sort of limit on dating? Um, dating, Like, do you have to be dating for a purpose? The only time you're allowed to date many times is if you see that you're planning to get engaged, but you just need one more time to, to get one more time just to fortify that uh, thought. Okay, I'm not saying that dating 28 times is a good thing, no. But I've seen beautiful come out and they went out 20 times. I was shocked, but 20, 30, whatever it was. So I'm not saying you could go out as many times as you want. If the purpose of the going out is to mend, to fortify it, and because you're trying to get, you just need like one more detail to clarify. So that's where you're going out so many times. The moment you're engaged, you have to be very careful. The halach is, the halach is partially begash because of Tadas and Mishpacha change in that area. When it comes to Bedikas, it's all massive difference between the engagement and the wedding and after the wedding or before they get engaged. So we're comparing apples and oranges over here. The fact that they went out, okay, it's not that when you date, you're unlimited, you have an open check, go out a hundred times. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. In the good old days, we used to go out three, four, five times, six times. A guy went out nine times. Whoa, whoa, nine times. Okay, but sometimes they need it. No problem. Today, there's some that need 15, need 20. But after the seventh or eighth time, they're, they're just trying to mend it stronger and stronger. So it takes another few times. But if the stump just going out and they both know that, I don't know if it's good. I don't know. That's stump wasting time. And wasting money and wasting energy and uh, you know that's not the way to go the moment they're engaged oh now already it's a russo it gets a very halachic implications and as rabbi shustam said beautifully before they're not husband and wife but they're not a boy and girl either they're like in between and the Torah has plenty what to say about that so therefore they have to, the rabbi was very very much about the least possible etc and it's only a good advice. It's only good advice, practical advice. You mentioned so, by the way, I want, to, I want to add one more point to this, which happens a lot nowadays. 
Chosin and Kala, they're going out to get engaged. They made up their mind they're getting engaged. The parents can't come for two weeks. The parents can't come. This is COVID. There's another country. There's a, well, the parents can't come for two weeks. But as far as they're concerned, they're ready to go to the oil. They're just waiting for the parents or whatever to come for two weeks, right? They also should be careful in the dating of that two weeks because, again, they made up already they're getting engaged. That's like, in a certain respect, post-engagement already. Why are you going out again now? You, get, you know that it's, you don't have any doubts anymore. So then they, that also has to be kept in mind. It's very, it happens a lot because people can't come for a few weeks and whatever. So Rabbi Gorelick, you mentioned the story with your aunt and, and you talked about you know, limiting the dating during the engagement. Would you then say that it's okay for Hassan and Kala to not see each other at all during the engagement period? Or is that an extreme that might lead to its own problems? That's a question for there must be. No, it's a case by case basis. Some people may want to see each other every Friday night, by, by the Friday night, again, they should try to be in different cities if possible. And that alone is going to help the situation. And sometimes they are for whatever reason. So it's a, it's a mashpia question or a good friend or the parents or Arav or whatever. And every case has its possibilities. There's no written rule. The Rebbe was very much that they should be seeing each other the least possible. Yeah, that was the Rebbe's shita. The least they see each other, the better it is. Now, what does that exactly mean? It all depends on the situation. So my aunt is the extreme <laughs> where she was away and she even got a ticket to be able to go, and the Rebbe said no. So uh, that 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 takes that Rebbe, but uh, at least we see where the Rebbe's uh, gang is on how to look at the time between. By the way, there's a very interesting letter from the Rebbe. There used to be a mashpia here in the yeshiva. His name was Rebbe Springer. He used to give it to all the Hassanim. Where the Rebbe writes to the Hassan that he should realize that the time between the engagement and the wedding is a time which is called Yokar Mikol Yikor. It's the precious, most precious possible. So a chassan, the boy, the girl for sure, has her things that she has to prepare. But the chassan has to be in a state where this is the time when he is going to grow, not proportionally to what he was doing till now. Now it's Yokar Mikol Yikor. So this is a time when to spend on self-improvement and becoming better and preparing for a building a home by the Yidden. And uh, so if you take that in consideration, of course, when he's going to meet his his college future wife, it'll be in a proper setting. That's why the Rebbe wanted the wedding as soon as possible. Right. The Rebbe took off all barriers. There used to be a mini, say from Minhagen, you don't get married in the second half of the month, except other in Kislev and, and Elul. The Rebbe took off every barrier. The Rebbe's opinion, and the Rebbe wrote Claude, clearly. As the earliest you could get married, as long as you're allowed to get married according to halacha, you should get married. Rabbi Groner told me that one time the Rebbe sent him to Rebbe Zalman Shimon Dvarkin that he should go over the dates, which say in Sfarim, not in halacha, in Allah, you have, for example, during Sfira, the three weeks or, you know, certain times that you cannot get married. And then there are times which is not appropriate, like, like Rabbi Shisterman just said in Sefer Aminogim, this part of the month, that part of the month. And the Rebbe asked Rabbi Zalman Shimon to abolish it all up 
you should make up sack because there's just not enough dates for Kostin and Kali to get married and they have to push off their weddings and this is not uh, the best thing for them. Thank you. Okay, so, um, you know, you mentioned briefly about pictures by a wedding and I'm gonna just say for general call since everyone's listening here right now that at mikvah.org forward slash wedding, we have a guy that was reviewed and approved by many rabbanim about some of the halachas to keep in mind in planning for your wedding, as well as uh, another shear called preparing for a chassidisha wedding where we discuss pictures at the wedding. But since we're talking right now about dating and engagement, can you address please halachically about pictures um, of chassan and kala engaged by the ayal or at their lachayim or professional pictures? Is there anything to keep in mind halachically with engagement pictures or dating pictures? I don't know halachically. In my days, when I got engaged in the early 80s, there weren't too many restrictions. Again, don't forget those days lachayims weren't as grandiose as they are today. On the contrary, they used to, uh, I'm sorry, let me backtrack just a little bit of history so we can relate to it. Until the early 60s, the Lechaim of today was called the Tnoim. They used to actually write the Tnoim, which today we read by the Kabbalah Spani, by the day of the wedding. It was done by the engagement. And then a few months later was the, the wedding with the Ksuba, etc. Without going into details, this was switched from Tnoim to Lechaim. So when they made a Tanoim, it was a nice meal or whatever. But again, also was done at home. It, was, it wasn't done in a hall. It wasn't done. It was mostly done in the house, either of the Chosen or the Kala. Those days also the families weren't as big as today, etc. After a while, it became Lechaims. What was Lechaim? Again, you have a table in the, your dining room and you put some Mazaynas and Lechaim. And people come, the family, they come and say Lechaim. Slowly but surely, it became these grandiose half weddings that they make now of Lechaim for whatever reason. I'm not gonna go into good or no good, but that's the, this right now, this is the fact. So the whole concept of pictures, then it wasn't yet an issue. After a while after my wedding, I remember hearing that Rabbi Groner said that the Rebbe said something about pictures, taking pictures, not taking pictures together. Since I would never have got a clarity on that. What I what when people ask, I always said that if there's the, the chassan and the kala and the parent, they're all sitting there. And there's a picture taken, you can see the chassan kala. I don't see the issue. By the oihel, again, on a personal level, I've not discussed it with others. I can only answer what people ask me and I say what I feel. Even if they want to take a picture, it should not be when they walk out of the oil. I don't think it's becoming for the oil, for the kvarim, to be in a picture of a chassan kala. I don't think, again, a personal opinion. I think that when they come into the tent and the parents are there and everybody's there and you take a picture and you see the chasen and you see the kala and you see the parent. I don't see any problem with that. I don't see any reason why there should be a picture taken of the chasen and kala, how they walk out of the oil and just like that standing and standing next to the sign that says, please, no cell phones, no pictures, you know, but, but that's, a, that's another. If it's taken with other people, I don't think there should be any issue. If it's just they go and take a picture, just the custom and the cut. This is absurd. I mean, they say it's known that the Rebbe did not want Chosin Kala pictures of the Chosin and Kala alone. There's that's what I heard the name of Rabbi Grona. Yeah. That's yeah, what but it's known. But again, so that's what I'm saying. But this is Tershaval Pel, like they say. Right. Um, is there any difference halakhically between like formal engagement pictures with a photographer versus a casual picture taken at the Lachayim or the oil that just happens to have the, only the two of them in there? 
the picture preferably should have everybody, if possible, everybody. It's part, right. It should, should have more. Is it today? Look on COL. Every every time there's a, an engagement, you see the picture of Chas and Kala walking out of the other. Sometimes it's appropriate, sometimes it's totally inappropriate what you see in the picture. Um, you know, it, it's people should just be aware and be sensitive to the issue of Chas and Kala pictures. Okay, thank you. Um, we have some questions here, which I'm going to say that next in the in the next few weeks, we'll also be having a college teacher addressing us. Some of these questions, if I ignored it, I might I'm not ignoring it. It's more of a hashkafic issue that I think um, we'll discuss. You know, not from a halachic perspective, but from a hashkafic perspective. Um, okay, so let me just see what else I need to address here right now. Okay, do you have an issue? I mean, on Hashkafa level, we'll address it from the Kala teacher, but from the Rabbanim, do we have a, you know, we talked before about Yechud virtually with Hamshachas Alev or not. So when we're dating, are we saying that the Hamshachas Alev needs to all be kept inside and we're not, and it's not Sneas, we're not allowed to say anything verbally? How are we supposed to be talking honestly with the person we're dating to make sure we're both on the same page with how we feel inside? There's a way of how you could say a feeling. You say, no, I really like you. I think we're going to make a good, great, build a home together. That's nothing wrong. So, oh, you are so handsome. You're so gorgeous. I'm in love with you. I mean, that's inappropriate. And there's a million levels in between. So people have to know, yes, Chos and Nikala have to be, they have to tell each other, yeah, I really like you. I'm, you know, I want to get engaged to you, you know, but it depends how you say it. When a husband tells a when a boy tells a girl, okay, I think we're ready to write into the Rebbe. What does that mean? It means that I likes her and he thinks that this is the proper person, etc. Right? So it doesn't have to always verbalize, ah, you are really the dream of my life. Yeah, because you never know what his dreams are. You never know what's gonna happen afterwards. So again, as Rabbi Schusterman just said, use the wording which is practical. Yeah, I think that we're made for each other. I think that we would make a perfect binyan adayad. Yes, yes, I think I found what I was looking for. You know, these are. Okay. Um, you know, we talked also as well about, um, you know, limiting our uh, date, our meetings during engagement period. And we also, we talked originally that while we're dating to avoid texting and FaceTiming. So could we just bring that in? We talked about it during dating that it's not a great way to communicate with each other because things might be misread when we facetime or text is that how does that work when we're engaged does that is that part of seeing each other is it okay to not see each other but yes facetime and text or it's part of problems that should be avoided by texting you are opening yourself to problems because when you're texting to a friend and he misread it Either he'll ask you, he won't ask you, whatever. He'll be a little angry at you then later. Sometimes, unfortunately, unfortunately, Shaduchim have been broken because of misread text. Ooh, I thought that that's what he meant. I thought he meant something good. And then later, it's a shod. It's Pashat Tashad. And if you're just texting that uh, she's asked, you know, she called you before, she says we want to do it at five o'clock, and you just trying to call her and for some reason it's not going through and you say, is 5.30 okay? All right. <laughs> you know, 
But if it's further than that, which means that there's a message in there, or from, I would be more comfortable if they, whatever, it, people start reading into messages. So if it's a friend, it's one thing. But if it's a boy and a girl who are going into a dating situation, they start reading into every word that it says there. And uh, not everybody is uh, articulate. And so, and we have also a very good friend, the spell check. words, you never wrote them. Damn it, Tamal, you go and you check. Why did the shit break? Because of that message. You go back to that message and you saw, aha, instead of an L, came out a K. Oh, you know what happened now? That's what I'm saying. This is, the problem is because the message is given not by a human, it's given by electronics. When you talk, you're using electronics, but you're talking. She, you could explain yourself, she could ask back or the other way around. When it's you talking to your, to your, 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 your thing over there, right? And today everybody's sister, sister, sister. And then they don't realize that when you're talking to a, a, a prospect who you're planning to marry, you can't just play around like you're playing on any chat. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so when the- It's just a, it's just a practical thing, not a scuffer. A practical that we saw the damages that it has caused. So we know to not meet very often when engaged and texting is not a great idea. Um, is there any sort of amount of time with me the word burning that like, oh, the time, don't have a conversation that lasts more than this much time on the phone or must don't talk on the question. phone more than this much more time. What? It must be a question. Must be a question. Okay, next. Um, regarding, we, we have a lot of shopping to do when we're engaged. So can the, um, can the boy accompany us, you know, for something like a big, like an apartment? Don't we, doesn't he want to have a say in that? Should, he, should we go apartment shopping with our chassan? Should we buy furniture with our chassan? There's two types of chassanim. There's a chassan that says, I have such a good color, I have such a good schmer and schwiger. I'm sure they'll find the best thing and he'll be happy with it and it makes absolutely no difference. Because if it's not good for him, she also is not going to... Uh, and let's not forget that when they're going shopping for an apartment, we're talking about something temporary. We're not talking that that's what they're going to live forever. They're not buying a house over here and one needs a smaller, one needs bigger or whatever. We talk about an apartment that needs one or two rooms because they just need it for a year or two, the maximum. Okay. So, that, you know, as, as the, we always say stories of the Rebbe, as we, the, when I was a bachar, at least that's what they said. That there was a bucket that went to Yechidus and the Achasan and the Rebbe asked him, we gained the Achanis. And the Achasan said, Baruch Hashem, I learned this Maimer and that Maimer and I learned the Alochis and this and that and whatever. And the Rebbe says, Yeah, but was Tutsak mit an apartment? Do you have an apartment? Do you have your new Sirtuk? Do you have this? Fine. Another bucket went in and the Rebbe asked him, we gained the Achanis. And he said, Baruch Hashem, I have an apartment and I have my Sirtuk. And the Rebbe said, was Tutsak mit Ruchnis, the Achanis. You know what's happening with the. So therefore, it all depends on the situation. By the way, if the chassan dafke wants to go, I Isn't think it? No, the parents should go along too. It shouldn't be chassan and kala alone. They should go with the sets of the parents. If they're in town. They should go together with somebody. It takes off the, the yichud, so to speak, of the chassan and kala. And then they're going as a family trip, you know. So then it's if if, if the chassid really wants to go, the appropriate thing is they should go with the families. Okay, they, okay so if they need to, if the chassid needs to see the apartment or any of those bigger purchases, then one of the parents or another adult in town, right. if they're out of town, no should go with them. What about um, chassid and kala buying jewelry together or gift giving during the engagement? 
Give, giving the Rebbe wanted basically Svarim. The Rebbe was adamantly against giving an engagement ring because that could be a shail of Kedushin. Um, the appropriate thing, let's say the Chosin wants to buy the Kala necklace or whatever. The best thing is halachically, and it's much more like that from the Rebbe's answers, that the parents should give it to the girl. Obviously, it's coming from the Chosin. But then it's not the chosin giving a piece of jewelry directly to the kala. The parents are giving it. And, and it's the same accomplishment. But rings that Rebbe was adamantly against, even the, the diamond ring, you give either in yichud or after yichud, but uh, the Rebbe was adamantly against giving because of halachic reasons. Okay. All right. So um, this is already going. Just. Okay, if they're going, to, if they're going to buy jewelry, do they need to have a, a set of parents coming with them, or I don't know, the 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 Chaim necklace or the engagement ring that they're going to get after the wedding? Is it okay for the chassan to come with the kala to the jewelry store? Usually, in Bayidin, it's the parents of the kala of the chassan that buy these things for the kala. The chassan does not buy anything. Most cases, the chassan doesn't have a pen in his pocket and is it's to learn. And even if it doesn't, but not necessarily is he. Not anymore, by the way. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to be. The... But even if he's not the one buying it, is it okay for him to go along to choose it? I think that's the question about choosing, helping to choose. Allahically, there's no problem. It's okay. What? what? If they go together, it's not so good for If they what? If they're picking together. If the family goes together also. Oh, the family goes together. Okay, so the key is that it's not a, a time. Alone, chassan, and kala. Okay, so now they're married, Baruch Hashem, and then their apartment. Is it okay for the single friend? Hi, I'm my single friend. Can I go hang around with my friend who just got married in her apartment? And does it change if I actually dated um, her chassan? Must be a question for sure. Okay. And by the way, you know, especially at the beginning of the marriage, Chassan and Kala have to think and realize they are number one to each other. You can have a friend coming in there and the Chassan or the Kala will think that friend is number one and I'm number one and a half. And number two, it's not a good idea. They need to be open between themselves to discuss it and also ask a Mashpir if it's appropriate. It's not uh, such a great thing to do. Okay, we discussed buying the apartment, we discussed buying the furniture, we discussed buying the jewelry. What about the bed shopping, the linens, the type of mattresses? Maybe the chassan has, a, has you know, he wants it heavy, thicker, thinner, you know, denser, softer. What do we do about, you know, those, the bed linens? If they go together with the family and he really needs to go, which I don't understand why, you can tell him the thickness and they can buy it for him. They'll know better than him. But if he Dafka wants to go, let him the family. It if when he was a bochet, he needed a certain mattress, right? So obviously his mother knows about it. And when they're going to be buying the set, the mother will obviously tell the other side, if you're going to buy a set, you should just know that my son likes this type of... There are some people who like a certain type of pillow, they like a certain type of blanket, like gesundheit, but not to make an issue out of it, a family uh, reunion. Well, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, though, that maybe the mother will know if we're talking about a 22 or 23 or 24 year old buffer. But maybe if we're talking about older singles that are in their 30s, it could be that the parent doesn't even know about the preferences anymore. Right. When they're in their 30s, it's a very other whole passion. When they're in the 30s, it's a different way how to, uh, how to operate. 
and they already then if you talk about people in the 30s then the parents have much less of a involvement here right. okay so then that's a separate conversation yes there, in other words is there a possibility that somebody is over 30 whatever we discussed till now may change in certain areas the answer is yes Yes. And if so, speak to your Rav. Right. And that's why, what I said, rule number one, that sometimes you need the Rav because, or a Mashpia because he will fit it according to your, not because we don't know the answer, but we don't know the situation. So then we could give a proper... Estimate for your needs. Is it symbolic that the parents are the ones giving the gifts or is it really that only the parents should be choosing it, paying for it, writing the message. Giving it what necessarily, is giving it, giving it, you don't want any shot of Kedushin. Handing it. Handing it is the issue. Handing it is the issue. Right. But if the, if the chassan is the one that's choosing it or the one that's- That's not a problem. Okay. The only problem is going the one paying for it. I don't know, the Kala side has a, the chassan side has a $1,000 budget and the chassan wants to add his own money to make it a bigger present. Is it a problem? No. No. But the chassan and kala going alone to buy jewelry could become a romantic setting. Which might or, be or she may want something which is beyond his budget. So he has to be very smart and call up the place before and say, Hazachain, I want you to show my future wife, my kala, things up to whatever, you know. And she may all of a sudden say, no, no, she doesn't like any of that. But because the chasen is issues, he doesn't really want to say the truth and whatever. So then it starts issues. So they should take that in consideration before they go. Okay. Um, when we talked about having a personal rub, like you had said, is it like an official thing, like a mashpia, where the personal rub needs to really know you? Or is it more about having a rub that you feel comfortable that you can ask him the questions? Having a rub that you're comfortable with. Okay. Thank you. Um, all right, again, back to the shopping here. We're talking about out-of-towners, the boys from out-of-town, the girls from out-of-town. The parents cannot be involved here in the shopping. Maybe the girl literally needs the husband's help because she doesn't have a car and she doesn't have a way to go around by herself. Um, what, what should someone do in that situation? Mashpia and Rav to answer it. Okay. So sometimes they have aunts, cousins. I mean, you know, there are people that have relatives. They Friend. That can go. But the, the, it's a question for every, again, there has to be a custom-made answer. There's no general answer for this. And the mashpi and the rub will answer that person accordingly. Okay, I think I went through everything. Thank you to, to both Rabban Rabbi Gorelik, Rabbi Shuskeman. This was incredibly informative and I hope that this helps inform everyone else as we see all the halachic um, components or guidelines or scenarios that we may not even have occurred to us that would come up um, you know, while we're dating or while we're engaged. And that's why the importance of having a personal rub and a mashpia. Someone said this one. Oh, okay. Um, I guess one more question and I'm going to close. Rabbi Gorelik, you talked about having, um, you know, speaking to a rub and someone asked, is Rabbi Gorelik in, um, saying, and so you can clarify this, that we someone needs to call a rub before every shidduch begins. I'm about to begin this shidduch, call a rub about this shidduch. I'm about to be in that sort of, or is it just that if you have a rub, you're gonna think about names or other things? Like you brought up names, which could happen differently for each other, or you brought up a wedding date, you did not to do it the week before. So are you supposed to be talking to your family rub or personal rub before every shidduch begins even? Every shidduch should be looked at its own story. 
The fact that someone went out to three, four people, that is, is irrelevant. What I was talking about in the nice scenario, when a family has a family rub, and the family rub is involved with this family, and they, the rub knows what's going on in their family. Yes, they should have, they should discuss with their rub, just to tell them, look, I would like a daughter to go out to this family. Can you think of any issue or do you think we could go ahead with it? Okay, so, so the Rav should be called the same way we're speaking to the Shabbos and we should... But not a Rav who is out of town or a Rav that you're comfortable with, but he doesn't really know the family and because he's not going to get involved in that. I'm talking about what the person should do is that they should develop a relationship having somebody which is called a family Rav and Bimele, automatically, he'll be able to help them this too. Okay. okay I said, I have a problem. I grew up like that. And that is the perfect scenario. Not everybody has that luxury. It's right. true. Okay. So I was about to close up, but I have one more question, Rabbi Shustman, if you can address this. And if it's, um, I guess this is a sign of our times. If someone is asked on a reference call, you had talked about things you need to disclose or not. So I am a single girl. I'm being called about my friend and I'm being asked on the reference call if my friend is vaccinated. Is this something that is my business to disclose or talk about? Ask your friend, do you mind if I tell people if they ask me if you're vaccinated or not? <laughs> if, if they, if they, if the, the girl, your friend tells you, I don't want people to know, so then you're going to have to tell people, I don't know. And that's it. Okay, so that's uh, for that. And oh, I feel like there was one more question that I, I missed here that I'm supposed to be asking. Sorry, give me one second. Okay. No, I think I think we we went through all the questions. Thank you very very much, Rabbi Shusterman and Rabbi Gorelick, for your time today. And um, everybody should find the shaduchim as soon as possible, the proper one, and everything should go well. You took out the words from Amas. That's why we uh, work together. That's why we, we, we Baruch Hashem work very well together. Is there any other closing remarks that either um, that you would like to say or addressing with the girls that are listening? They should not push off Shaduchim. When you come back from seminary, start working on, actively working on Shaduchim. The longer you stay out of seminary, the harder it gets to find the Shaduch amongst other issues that are not good. And that everything that we discuss, if, if I may just add, everything that we discussed over here is not just Tam Ruchnis. It's just that Klal uh, Yisrael is here for three and a half thousand years. It's because we're following a certain pattern. Not everybody understands the pattern. Not everybody agrees with the pattern, but there is a pattern. And as long as we follow that pattern, the Rebbe will be able to come back and say, And I must say that Baruch Hashem, the mere fact that we are getting together discussing these questions, when the way people thought what's going to happen in 20 years from now, that there's not going to be anybody even thinking of such questions. So Baruch Hashem, we are where we are at. And we have a lot of faith in the youth. And I'll finish off with this remark that I heard from my wife, Zaidi, Rabbi Shisterman, who was the Rebbe's Balkaida, that there was a big chassid in the year Tafshin Yud, that when the Fidik Rebbe passed away and it took a year until the Rebbe took the Nasiyas. So one of the older chassidim, his name was Aravi Rachmil bin Yominson. He was an unbelievable chassid from the previous generation. He went to the Rebbe and told the Rebbe, Rebbe, Mela us, the old, <laughs> we're gone anyways. But please do it for the youth. 
the Rebbe should become Rebbe for the youth. And the Rebbe said this line, which I want you to remember, my dear youth. I never resigned from the youth. I will be with the youth till the end. So please remember, the Rebbe is with you all. And Be'ezus Hashem, things will work out for the best. I just want to give a hearty yashikoyach to the organizer. It's organizers of this event. It's unbelievable. It's something that was needed years ago. And at least Baruch Hashem is being done now. And you should continue on Yelchum Mikhail Achoyel Shitakabi Batzloch Rabba. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much to Rabbi Shusterman and Rabbi Gorelick for this very important discussion. If you'd like to sponsor next week's episode, which features a conversation with Mrs. Sarah Morozov, Mrs. Rifki Bayarsky, and Mrs. Rifki Brickman, please reach out to podcast at mikvah.org. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed today's recording. Please take a moment to leave a rating or a review to help others find the podcast. We welcome you to support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. For feedback, please email podcast at mikvah.org. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.